This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I want to talk to you today about helicopter parenting and why it is actually detrimental um, to your parenting, to your child's future independence and success. So the first reason that parents start out as helicopter parents is to try to protect our kids, right? When I, and I, I was a master helicopter parent for a very long time. And the reason that I hovered was purely um, for two reasons, really. One was my own anxiety about my child getting hurt or getting kidnapped or whatever, you know, your brain runs away with you. And the other reason was to try to protect him from really everything, not just from a danger like, um, you know, stranger danger, but to protect him from getting his feelings hurt with other kids around him, to protect him from failing, um, You know, I just kind of wanted to put him in a bubble, and I did the same thing for his sister, and protect them. And what I found out later, and much later than I wish I would have figured it out, because um, I should have had my daughter more independent and prepared for college this year, and if I had started sooner... Um, with kind of, you know, relinquishing my pilot's license, and I stopped hovering sooner, she might have been a little more prepared to be on her own. Although I have to say that she is doing phenomenally well, and we are very proud of her. But so the reason that helicopter parenting is really detrimental to you and to your kids is because they're not going to learn to do things on their own. They are not going to learn independence. If I'm hovering even for my own self-preservation, for example, I'm hovering and I'm making the peanut butter and jelly sandwich when my son could really do it for himself. Even, I mean, obviously at 15, I more than more often than not um, have him make his own sandwiches now. And not that he wants to, because he will still ask me to do it, but because that's the right thing to do. But when he was younger, I would do it even when he was capable of doing it, because I wanted to avoid a mess. I wanted it to go quicker. I didn't want, you know, this whole charade about peanut butter and jelly and crumbs and a giant mess all over the kitchen that I would then have to clean up. And that just taught him that mom will do everything for you, right? Somebody will do things for you. And so later on, He's asking me at 15 years old to make his sandwiches for him. Now, the time came where I figured out that I really was not preparing my kids for independence, successful independence, by 
doing things for them. And another reason that that hovering is and doing things for our kids is detrimental is because they're not learning those skills and thought processes that go into being kind of forced to do things for themselves. For a long time with my son, who has a lot of executive functioning deficits, really um, pretty severe lack of planning and organizational skills, I would just pick things up and put them away for him because that was so much easier then asking him to do it and asking him to do it five times and then begging him to do it and then threatening him to do it. And then he comes to do it and he forgets what he's doing. And then I have to call him back again. And then he picks up what I asked him to put away, but he doesn't put it where it goes. So he has to come back again when I could have just stood up and like grabbed the shoes off the middle of the kitchen floor and put them where we keep the shoes by the garage door. But what does he learn when I'm doing for him, he just learns that somebody else will do it, or it'll stay where it is. He's not learning to think about the organization process. He's not learning to think about problem solving, if I am always doing everything for him. And so helicopter parenting really does more harm than good. Truly, I know that you don't believe me right now. I know that you think that keeping an eagle eye on your child is what's going to keep them safe. And that is what is the best and, um, you know, the most good parenting, more harm than good, more good than harm. And we do that just out of fear, really. But what we're not thinking about is the fact that we are robbing our kids of so much more. And not only are we taking away the potential to learn lagging skills and to do things independently later in life, but think about what doing something independently does for their self-esteem? What does it do for their confidence when they learn? I mean, think back to something your child has done on their own and think about their mood and their expression and their emotions when they realized at that first moment that they could do it, that it was within them to do it and do it successfully. These are the kinds of moments that we're trying to create for our kids who struggle with ADHD. The best parenting approach is more good, more focus on the good, more focus on the interests, more focus on talents and passions, and less focus on weaknesses, less focus on ADHD, learning disabilities, school struggles. We want to have more positive than negative in our kids' days. And I know from a, you know, from a time standpoint, when they're in school, obviously they're going to have more school in the waking hours of the day on a school day than anything else. But, you know, it's all about balance. It's all about making sure that our kids realize that they are capable. They can be good at things. And when we're overprotective, we are robbing them of those moments of joy, of those moments of confidence 
and self-esteem. And so, you know, that, again, I'm using the word detrimental over and over, I know, but it really is detrimental. It really is doing the opposite of your parenting goal. You're trying to raise a child who can find some success and joy in their life as an adult, right? When we are overprotective and we are hovering and being a helicopter parent, we are not setting them up for that later success. We're actually taking it away. We're chipping away at it little by little, hover by hover. And I want you guys to be really, really mindful of this. Really take five minutes and sit down in a quiet spot and think about, am I a helicopter parent? Am I overprotective? Am I a hoverer? And if the answer is yes, or even maybe, then you're doing it more than you should be. And I think, you know, it's certainly okay to be protective of our kids. We just don't want to be overprotective. If you're taking your child to the swimming pool and they're going to swim and they're little and they're not the best swimmer yet, it's not overprotective to sit where you can see them in the pool and make sure that they're safe and they're doing okay. That's just what you should do. Of course, you want to keep your kids safe. What I'm talking about when you're overprotective is when you're kind of crossing that line. You know, overprotective might be putting floaties on your child and standing next to him in the swimming pool and having your arms outstretched ready to rescue should he go under, even though he does swim and he probably most likely is going to do just fine without you. That's when you've crossed that line into overprotective mode. And again, your child is not seeing that he can swim on his own. He thinks that he still needs mom right there. He thinks that he can't do it himself. That is the underlying message that we are sending our kids when we hover. And of course, that is not the message that we want to be giving our kids. And, you know, being overprotective, being a helicopter parent also comes into play because we want to kind of protect our kids from pain, right? Painful experiences, painful emotions. And so, we maybe we don't let them go skiing because some people go skiing and break a leg or we don't let them maybe make a choice on their own independently because it might go bad and it might be painful. We learn from mistakes. Human beings learn from painful moments. Pain makes us adjust. It makes us evaluate what we're doing and adjust it so that we can avoid the pain. That's learning how to problem solve. That's learning independence. It's learning that life is not all good or all bad, that it is a mix. 
And that is such an important lesson for a neuroatypical child who's really struggling day to day. You know, our kids with ADHD, I guarantee you that your child is struggling more than you even realize. I remember my son once, I think in fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that, he was being told a lot to try harder at school, try harder, try harder, work more, work longer, you know, all the things that don't change the brain that he has. But what it did was chip away at his confidence and his self-esteem. And one day he came home and he dropped his backpack and he plopped himself down in the chair and he said, nobody understands how hard I am trying. And that was a really pivotal moment for me, really pivotal, because then I realized that there is so much more going on than what I can see on the surface. And there's more going on than what our kids will tell us. I mean, just yesterday, I picked up my son after school in the car line. He got in the car, slamming the door, huffing and puffing, big angry face. And I said, hey, buddy, what, what's going on? What happened? I don't want to talk about it. I'm not talking about it with you. And I know at 15, there are a lot of things that you don't want to talk to your parents about. But, you know, I am always coming from the place of wanting to help him. So I said, hey, dude, you know, I can't help you if you don't tell me what's going on. Well, no, I'm not talking to you about this. We're not talking about it. I'm done. Close the door. So, you know, here we are almost 24 hours later as I'm recording this. And and I have no idea what happened yesterday. But... After some time alone and some time to decompress and do things that he enjoys and he's good at, he came around and he was fine. And so, you know, they're not always going to share the pain and the struggles with us, but we have to recognize that there really is likely much more of that going on than we know. There's so much more internal struggle. There's so much more struggle with their environment and expectations of, you know, different places like school or even, you know, a little league team. You know, everybody out there in the world outside of our houses has neurotypical expectations of our kids unless we teach them otherwise. And so the struggle is just so very real for our kids. We want to minimize that, of course. We want to give them accommodations at school. We want to be empathetic and compassionate and understanding at home. We want to, you know, have the right mindset and attitude to help our kids. But we also need to let them sometimes have some painful moments, have some mistakes, because that's going to teach them what to do differently in the future. And if we don't ever let them have those moments and then they grow up and they're out on their own and suddenly there's all kinds of painful things coming at them, what are they going to do then? They have no idea what to do about it because they grew up for 18 to 20 to 25 or more years at home with mom and dad and they didn't learn that these things were possible and how to manage them. So again, helicopter parenting is actually more detrimental 
even though it feels like you're doing the right thing. It's so hard for parents. And I think especially first time parents, you know, if your child with ADHD is your first child, then you were already overprotective likely of them before you even knew that there was ADHD or anything going on that you also had to address and think about. So here's what I want you to do going forward. First, I want you to stop making assumptions for your child. Stop assuming that you know what might be painful, what might go well, all these different things. Just don't make any assumptions. If your child is an appropriate age to sit down and have a conversation about something, collaborate on it then you should absolutely do that. If not, you know, you have to be their compass and guide. But the point is that you're going to start letting your child make more decisions for him or herself. Lots more decisions. And you're going to do this far earlier than your instincts are telling you is appropriate. Okay? So if your child is only five or six, you give them choices of three different outfits to wear to school today. You give them two choices of what sandwich they might have in their lunchbox. Um, You know, you start there at a young age or when you're just starting with independence with measured choices. So you as the parent still have some control, but what happens is two things. First, your child now feels like they have control. And that is really valuable. And secondly, they are learning to problem solve and do things for themselves. They are learning to weigh the choices and make a decision. And that is really crucial. And that's the foundation of teaching independence and successful independence. You know, anybody can be independent. It doesn't mean you're successful at it. We want our kids to be successful in their independence. And so I want you to just think about different aspects of your day, different things. You know, one signal of something great to start letting your child have more control of, to let your child make decisions on, or to give them measured choices so they can make a choice, is when you're battling about the same thing all the time. If you're battling with your daughter every morning before school about what she's going to wear to school, It's time to either let her choose and she can take on the consequences of what she chooses or you give her a couple of choices and you say, okay, you get to pick, but it has to be one of these three things. And in doing so, you're teaching them to weigh different factors. Like my daughter and I used to fight all the time about what she was going to wear to school because of weather. She would want to wear, you know, shorts and a tank top in the dead of winter when it's 20 degrees outside. And she wasn't really thinking those things through. So we would fight about it all the time. And she would say, I'm going to be fine. I don't need a sweater. I don't need a coat. And, you know, finally I said, okay, you choose, but if you're cold, 
that's on you. You made the choice if you're, you know. And so what we taught her was to look up the weather and try to make a decent, successful decision on what she was going to wear based on the information that she gathered for herself. And that's when we stopped battling about her clothing. And you know what? She started getting better about choosing more appropriate things to wear because some days she was cold or some days she was too hot. Um, she would start looking and really actually looking at the weather forecast and trying to make appropriate decisions based on that. And then once she was successful at that, she realized, hey, I'm a lot more comfortable if I think about these aspects before I make this choice. But when mom said, hey, you need jeans and a sweater today, it was World War Three. So, you know, you're by putting some of that choice on your child, letting them make decisions, you are pulling back some of that friction that you might be battling in one area or another. Um, it could be anything. It could be the cup that they want to drink out of at dinner. Maybe they wanted the Bugs Bunny cup and you gave them the Batman cup, whatever. And then now they're at the dinner table with the Batman cup stewing and angry and agitated, not eating their food, and they're piddling with the cup and they're about to spill it everywhere. And, you know, that whole thing could be avoided if you said, hey, do you want your milk in the Bugs Bunny cup or the Batman cup tonight? And I know that's uh, an example for younger kids. Um, but, you know, these are just really simple examples that are popping into my brain to try to help you recognize that these opportunities to hand over the reins to your child and stop hovering are everywhere. They are sprinkled all throughout your day and they don't have to be big, giant, life-altering decisions. Start with the little stuff. Start with the clothes they're wearing to school. Start with what's going in their lunchbox. Start with um, which cup they're going to drink out of at dinner. That's where you start small and you build the skill and you work up to those bigger things. And when they get to the point of the bigger things, then they've already learned how to make an appropriate decision. They've already learned this process by doing it with other smaller things. And that is just a really vital vital lesson. You know, another example, I always put the pills out for my kids. Um, my daughter has anxiety and takes medication for anxiety. I set her pill out every morning until the last semester of her senior year of high school. And then I finally one day had an epiphany. And I said, holy cow, she's going away to college. And I'm still setting her pill out and telling her to take it every day. This is not going to fly because when she gets to college, I'm not calling her every morning and saying, hey, get that pill bottle, open it, take one out, make sure you put the lid on, take it right now so you don't forget, you know, I, we can't be with our kids all the time and we can't even be in their heads all the time. We are trying to transfer all of those processes from being our processes to our kids' processes. And yes, they have developmental delays. Yes, 
they have struggles and issues with being able to do these processes successfully. And that's why we start young, because then we can facilitate, we can support, we can make sure that things go according to plan. We can even allow our kids to make mistakes and learn from them. And these are just vitally important things that I wish I had recognized so many years ago. Um, that last semester of her senior year, I did a lot of stepping back. And it, you know, it was hard for me because it was habit for me. It was like, you know, trying to quit smoking or something when you try to quit doing everything for your kids all the time. It's just kind of this muscle memory thing, you just jump in and you start doing everything. And so by waiting that long, it was even harder to do. It was harder for me. It was harder for her. And I just wish that I had started with both of them so much sooner. And so with my son, you know, we're starting now. He's a freshman in high school. And I think, you know, he'll be at home for a couple of years after high school. He's talking about going to community college here locally and and staying at home um, the first couple of years out of high school, which I think is a great plan for him. Um and so here I am thinking, well, independence isn't that far off anymore. He's not that bouncy, wild, six-year-old, skinny little boy anymore. He's a man-child. He is taller than me, taller than his dad. He is the tallest one in our house. Um, and so, you know, I have to start shifting to him. And I've always been really weird about giving him his medication um, and, and really hovering about that issue because he takes a stimulant medication and it's not something that you can really make mistakes with. But now I have decided, you know, I really need to start getting him to the point where he gets his medicine. He takes his, his pills for himself. Um, and so I'm going to get one of those weekly pill boxes and I'm going to fill them up for right now to make sure he gets what he is supposed to have and when because he takes four or five vitamins and supplements at night um, and then he takes his ADHD medication and an allergy medication in the mornings. So it's not just one pill one time a day, it's several things. So I'm going to start filling up that pill container once a week for him and he's going to be able to come to it and go, okay, today's Wednesday and it's morning. So I'm going to open the Wednesday morning one and I'm going to take it. And it gives me a visual to be able to be sure that he is getting his medicine. Um, but it's giving him that power and control and also teaching him to do it for himself because I want that to be a habit for him every morning. I want him to wake up every morning and go, I got to get my medicine first thing and do that right away, you know? And so it's, it's all these little things, but we have to start early and we have to just let go of the reins a little bit, you know? And, and when you do that, this is the beautiful thing about letting our kids be a little more independent. It is freeing for us. We are not stressing as much anymore. And I know it sounds like, oh, well, if I'm not hovering over my child and making sure he's okay, then I'm really going to be freaking out. There's some kind of this 
blissful transition there where you realize that they are okay. They can do this on their own. It is okay for them to have a little pain or make some mistakes. And then that freedom just floods in. It's very, very freeing. And you know, it's so powerful on so many levels. It's so powerful for our kids, but also for us. And not freeing in the in the way that, you know, I'm not running around picking up his stuff anymore. I don't have to get his pills out or I don't have to make his sandwiches. It's mentally and emotionally freeing. It really just gives you the opportunity to focus on other things. Focus more on the really important things, the really important supports, and focus less on all the little minutiae that really isn't that big of a deal. And we trumpet up in our minds and we're hovering around and it's, you know, everything, every potential thing that could happen to our child is a really big deal. But it's really not because the potential for all those things is so small. And again, I'm not saying, you know, send your kid out to rock climb without any training. You know, obviously... There are some boundaries and conditions, and you ha- your kid has to be prepared for you letting go of the reins and giving them independence in whatever way that is. But once you prepare them and you let go, it then frees up so much more space for you and space for you personally as a person, not just as a mom or a dad. It gives you more freedom to be yourself and to be relaxed and authentic. And that's really what's so powerful. You know, it's really so powerful for both of us, kids and grownups and parents to not be a helicopter parent anymore. So I challenge you now to think, be very mindful throughout your days and recognize when there's a possibility to give your child measured choices or to let them make the decision entirely and start doing it. Start doing it every single day as much as possible. And you could even, you know, if you're a planner You can sit down, pen and paper, and write down a few things that happen consistently in your lives that you know you could start shifting over into your child's area and letting them be in control of that. I'm sure you can think of a few things off the top of your head, but if you can't, don't worry about it because these opportunities are going to show themselves to you. You're going to be going throughout your day, going about your business, and realizing that instead of dictating an instruction, you could ask them to make a choice or let your child make the decision. And then, you know, before too long, you're going to realize how much better it actually feels to be less overprotective instead of being a helicopter parent. So that's my challenge for you, and I hope you'll take it because it really is life-changing, and it's just one little baby step in this giant picture of parenting a kid with ADHD, but every one of these little baby steps you know, comes together to make a really successful parenthood and a really successful life for our kids. I will see you on the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.